Welcome to Sabbath School Study Hour. We have an exciting lesson ahead of us, diving into the book of Psalms for this entire quarter. We're going to be on Lesson 3 today, but before we look at Lesson 3, I have an exciting free offer that I'd like to let you know about. This is a great magazine. It's beautifully illustrated, looking at the climax of Scripture, and it's talking about the day of the Lord, the very second coming of Jesus. If you would like to get this magazine, you can text sh one zero eight to 40544. It's only mailed to North America and U.S. territories. And you can ask for offer 825 and you can call 866-788-3966. That's 866-STUDY-MORE. And you will be blessed and understand how you can be ready for the very day of the Lord. And this lesson will actually help us understand how we can be ready for that as well. But before we look at this lesson, before we study this lesson, let's get started with having a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we're so thankful for the opportunity that we have to come together and study your word today. We're thankful for the book of Psalms. And Father, we just pray now that as we open up this special book, that the Holy Spirit that inspired these words would inspire our hearts as we look at the various points that the lesson makes. So just lead us and guide us in a very special way. Bless all the other classes all over the world that will be going through this lesson as well. And just help us all to have a better clarity of what your word teaches. We love you and thank you. And we do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, like I said, we're in lesson number three today, and the topic is the Lord reigns. And just as a word for all of you teachers out there that are going to be teaching this lesson, this lesson has so much content in it, it's going to be very difficult to cover every single verse and every single reference on every single page. So I'm going to do my best to hit the highlights here and there. I may run out of time, but we will certainly hit the highlights, give you food for thought. And as you're teaching, you might want to just pick a couple of points here and there to zero in on, because like I said, this is just so much and there's so many references to various Psalms, it would really take a long time to go through each point. But we're going to do the best that we can as we go through. The, the titles, our overall title is The Lord Reigns. So we're talking about the supremacy of the Lord. Then we're going to be looking at The Lord Has Made Us on a Sunday. And then on Monday, it's The Lord Reigns. I'm going back to the overall title. And then Tuesday is God is the Judge. Wednesday is Ever Mindful of His Covenant. And Thursday is your testimonies are very sure. And then Friday ends with some food for thought on uh, various words of encouragement dealing with the Psalms. And then it has some great discussion questions as you're doing the lesson yourself or teaching the lesson. You want to pay attention to these discussion lessons. They're very thought provoking uh, discussion, discussion questions rather. Uh, they're very thought provoking and they'll be edifying for your group. So with that being said, let's launch into the lesson. Uh, this particular lesson, of course, is, is setting up a, a beautiful thought when we consider the character of God. And really, when you look at the introduction of the lesson, I looked at the introduction of the lesson and read through it, and I know we're on lesson three, but I thought it would be helpful to look at the introduction and just look at one point that's made on page two of the lesson. And notice what it says. It says, the Psalms are prayers and hymns of the Bible par excellence, uttered in praise, joy, sorrow, and despair, spoken or sung in private and in the public by lay people. Notice the different categories here. We've got lay people, kings, poets, and priests coming from, goes on and says, coming from both the righteous and repentant sinners. So this is going to fit all people, all walks of life. Very helpful. The Psalms have served as the prayer book and the hymn book to generations of believers. You know, there's been people that have been dealing with disease and sickness in their life. They've had deep struggles and they go to the Bible and they're not sure where to turn, but countless numbers of people that I have talked with, that I have even counseled and studied with, they always find, their, find themselves safely landing in the book of Psalms. No matter what the situation is, you will find spiritual nuggets of heavenly manna 
falling fresh on your heart as you read the Psalms. So you can't go wrong if you're ever confused. Where do I study the Bible? Where do I need to start? If you're running late for your morning devotions, where do you go? You can always find a safe place in the Psalms. And I think that is what the introduction is letting us know there. Now, specifically, as we look at lesson three today, we're looking or this week, this previous week, we're looking at the Lord reigns. And one big summary point that I wanted to kind of zero in on here is the fact that every one of us have had a bad day. I don't know about you, but I've had some pretty bad days. And sometimes I just want to put my hands in my face and I just want to scream and I want to give up in my Christian experience. And I'm sure you can relate to that. And you feel like this guy here in this image. But what we need to understand is that what this lesson is showing us is that, and what the Psalms overall are showing us, is that God is still on the throne. He's still on the throne. And also something that we need to understand as you look at the, the points of this lesson, it's very helpful to understand this very important backdrop. And the backdrop is, because, well, let me tell you this before I tell you the backdrop. Because when you're reading each of these days and as we go into the different points that each day is making, as we look at the various Psalms, you're going, they're not always going to sit completely well in your heart because they're looking at this in the perfect picture. And the psalmist has the perfect picture in mind, but we always need to understand that we are living in a great controversy. And the very points that this lesson is bringing up, each day's lesson, the enemy has a challenge for each and every one of these. So as we consider the enemy, just to set this up, he has different titles in the Bible, but he is overall, he is an accuser and a slanderer. And there's different references. You can go and look these up in your, uh, on your own Bible, on your own time. But we've got Revelation chapter 12 and Job and Zechariah and the book of Jude. What we also see is that he is a deceiver and a tempter. And then important component dealing with this lesson is that he is a usurping ruler of earth. And you can notice what he's wanting to do is he's wanting to take the rulership. He's wanting to take the sovereignty. He's wanting to take our worship away from God, the one who deserves this. And he's wanting us to focus on him. And he has basically accused God of not being worthy of these specific things that this lesson is talking about. And I thought it would be helpful to look at a definition to usurp or what does it mean? It means to take a position of power or importance illegally or by force. And if you look up those verses that I just showed you a moment ago, you're going to see how this is exactly what the enemy does. Also, he takes the place of someone or someone in a position of power illegally or to supplant. And that's exactly what the enemy does. When you survey the pages of Scripture, that is what the enemy is doing. And then finally, to encroach or infringe upon someone's rights. And we know when we look at the Bible that God has the right to this planet. And we'll talk about why he has the rights to this planet as we go along through the study. But just to put it in, in a summary and show you kind of a picture for this, you can see this image here is basically what the enemy wants to do is the enemy wants to be the one who has the throne of your heart. And God wants the throne of your heart as well. So this is really a battle of hearts, a battle of thrones, or like a game of thrones. And you can see how even Hollywood has hijacked that title and put it into some of their popular programs and things like that. But that's really what we're dealing with. So how does this work? Well, we look at Sunday, for example, the Lord has made us. And there's a lot of beautiful things here on Sunday's lesson that we could just dive into and stay on Sunday's lesson. And I'm tempted to do that, but I want to do as much as I can for all of you. So let's take a look and let's just read real quick Psalm 8. And the lesson gives us also Psalm 100. I don't think we're going to be able to cover Psalm 100, but let's just look at Psalm 8 and notice the question that the lesson asks us. This is coming from page 21 on your lesson. This is the question that's, that's asked. How are God and people portrayed in these Psalms? And then question number two, what do these Psalms reveal about God's character? So let's read Psalm 8 and then we're going to pick it apart as we go through. It says in verse number one, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visits him? 
For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with honor and glory. Thou made him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. So this psalm, Psalm 8, is an important psalm. This, and there's many others like this. For example, you can look at Psalm 19, Psalm 29, and Psalm 104. These are what we would call psalms dealing with nature, dealing with God being our great creator. And that's very important. When we look at the sky at night, Psalm 8 is wanting us to see the signature of our very creator when we look up at the sky. Notice what it says when you consider the Seventh-day Adventist Bible commentary on this psalm. It calls this song, or this, because a lot of the psalms are songs, it says this song of the starry night as the poem has appropriately been termed is witness to what? Notice what it says it's a witness to. To the fact that the Hebrew poet did not see nature as an end in itself. And that's how a lot of people see nature today when they watch nature programs and when they're looking at National Geographic magazines or whatever it is, they see nature as an end in itself. But, but what did the psalmist do? It says the psalmist always looked beyond nature to nature's God. You see that? Looked beyond nature to nature's God, looking to the Creator. So continuing, notice when we unpack Psalm 8, looking at verse 1, notice who the psalm is by. This is important. It says, To the chief musician on the instrument of Gath, a psalm of David. And it says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who has set your glory above the heavens. So, I just think it's interesting that this is a psalm of David and it's very important that we understand what David is wanting us to see here because we can go to the book of Acts and we can see what David's mindset is as we consider him as a Bible character and a follower of God. It says in Acts 13, 22, And when he had removed him, talking about King Saul, God removing King Saul, now raising up another king. Who is another king? It's David. David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, and notice this, you've probably heard this, I know, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. So David is someone who understood what it was to have a deep, intimate relationship with God. David is one of the ones in the Psalms where you see he is praising God, but also he is one that is repenting to God because of the apostasies that he was involved in and the traps of the enemy that he fell into. But David was a man, I like to say it like this, David is a man who sinned hard in the Bible and he is a man who knew how to repent hard. When he sinned, he would always return back to God. And David wrote these psalms and he's showing us the beauty of God and I think that's very important as we understand God being our creator because David, before he was the king, he was the shepherd. And I'm sure he had many starry nights to observe and see the beauty of God. So notice now what it goes on and says, uh, what, I've, what I have underlined for us after we understand that this is a psalm of David. It says, O Lord, our God, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Now, in the English, this doesn't really help us. But when we look at it in the original language, I think there's some gems here that will help us to unpack this psalm. It says, O Lord, our Lord. And so the O Lord part is the word Yahweh. And then the, the lowercase Lord is talking about uh, this other word for God, Adonai. And so when we look at Yahweh, for example, you notice Yahweh means the existing one. And then Adonai means master or ruler. So this is showing us who this God is. This is a very self-existent God that does not have a beginning. He does not have an end, but he also has a throne. He has a domain. He is ruler. And then we keep reading the psalm and it says, After saying that, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth who have set your glory above the heavens. So you see his throne is, is huge, it's grand, it's much bigger than an earthly king or an earthly ruler. You're talking about a supernatural king of kings that sits on the throne above all other thrones. And this is the throne that the enemy desires to conquer, to take by 
force and to deceive us so that we are misled in this journey and in our worship of the Creator. So the enemy has his radar on this. And then we consider the stars. When we consider the skies, I like to tell people when considering these types of Psalms, I give them some homework and I'll give you this homework here. And so tonight, for example, I, I want you to go out in your backyard, if you have a backyard, or go to the nearest place where you can see the sky and look up at the starry night sky for just five minutes. Take a, take a break from Facebook and Instagram and the TV. Go outside and look at God's handiwork in the stars. And I think it will be a big blessing for you. And others have said things about this. So I thought I would share with you Albert Barnes in his commentary of the Bible. Notice what he says. He says, the manifestation of his perfect character was not confined to any one country, but was seen in all lands and among all people. Look at this. He goes on and says, in every place, his true character was made known through his works, through his creative works he's talking about. So when you look up at the sky, you're seeing that. And he says, in every land, there were evidences of his wisdom, his greatness, his goodness, and his condescension. Now, continuing on, I thought it would be helpful to notice what Abraham Lincoln has to say about this. I love this quote when considering Abraham Lincoln. He says, I can see how it might be possible for a man to look down upon the earth and be an atheist. Why is that? Because you look at planet earth and you look at humans who are killing each other, who are evil towards one another, who are filled with hate. And you can say, wow, how can there be a God when these humans are doing these terrible things, right? You, you've had that reaction too, I'm sure, looking at the atrocities out there that we are all committing. But he goes on and says, but I cannot conceive how a man could look up into the heavens and say there is no God. So that's a contrast there. You look at the world and you see all the evil, but then you look up at the sky and you see the majestic beauty of the Creator God. You see His fingerprints on this great canvas in the sky. So I just think that's beautiful uh, what Abraham Lincoln said there. And I think that is what the psalm is wanting us to see, what the psalmist is wanting us to see. So continuing on, let's look at verse 2. It says, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants. So he's talking about here the contrast with babes and infants and then strength because we often equate babies and young children, you know, youth as people that are not strong. They don't have abilities like the strong adults do. So he's making this contrast here. And I think it's interesting that the psalmist is writing this and the psalmist himself, David, is the very giant slayer himself. And I think that's significant because... Goliath, if you notice Goliath's challenge to him, it was in the context of David being young and not equipped to defeat this great giant. So I think that's an interesting parallel when we consider the authorship of this psalm and what the psalmist is saying. So he goes on and says in verse 3, When I consider your heavens, notice that I've underlined your, your, and you. He's talking about here, he's wanting us to see that this is God's handiwork, that God is the author of this. God is the one who is behind all this. So this all belongs to God. So what we're seeing is a, a big picture of the Creator God. We're seeing His, His unexhaustible canvas in the sky. And then he poses this question in verse 4. He says, What is man? that you are mindful of him, and the Son of Man, that you visit him. Now, we need to pay attention to this word man here. When we look at this in the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 3, page 649, I want you to notice what it says about man. It says, man is from the Hebrew enosh, which designates man in his frailty and weakness. So notice that contrast there, where man is frail, he's weak, He's mortal, and it says, When one stands in the presence of the vastness, the mystery, the glory of the heavens as seen at night, and then begins to reflect upon the infinity of space and the countlessness of the heavenly bodies, he must feel that man is an insignificantly small dot in the universe. Continuing on, if this is the reaction of ordinary unschooled mortals, how much truer must it be of the one who looks upon the heavens? Continuing, with the aid of the modern telescope in the light of the steadily unfolding knowledge of modern astronomy. So we see this contrast here where we see, wow, you've got frail man who, 
Notice, when you look at this man, what, what is God telling us about man? We go all the way back to the origin of man. It tells us in Genesis chapter 1 and, and verse 26, let us make man, this is God speaking, He says, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And then you see in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, something very important, how God made man. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul, or man became alive. The word there is nephesh. Man became a living being. Now about this living being who was made in the image of God, he was made out of dust. Don't miss that. And then it goes on and says, For you have made him, in verse 5, a little lower. Now there's another component that's brought into the equation. You've, you've made him a little lower than the angels and have crowned him with glory and honor. So very low created being, the lowest of the low, has been crowned with glory and honor. Almost similar to, in a lower degree, of that of the very creator God. So notice this, it's very important. We see God, we, we, we see from... What we've looked at so far, you see God is on His throne. His domain is unexhaustible. It's super majestic. The handiwork is all over everything that we see, especially when we look up at the sky. That's what He's saying. And you see that in the stars. So you've got the majestic God, the, the beautiful canvas of the stars of the sky. And then you have the beautiful power, strong angels that excel in strength that are above us in the order of creation. And then where does it land? It lands us here with the dust of the ground, the dust of this third rock from the sun in the Milky Way galaxy where these beings are the lowest of the low. They're lower than the angels. And when they look up at the sky, they see how small they really are. And then when they consider the one who created all this, they're just a little speck. But this shows us the character of God, that we have a creator God who has made little humans in His image to show forth His very glory. And we'll see what should be our reaction to that as we look at it. So it continues in verse 6. You have made Him to have... Now notice this. There's a tie-in here to creation as to what God would want to do with this speck of creation that was made in His image. What does He want to do? It says, you have made Him to have what? You've made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. This is talking about what God had created in the creation account. He created our very planet, our very existence, but he gave us dominion. He gave the original creation dominion. He says, over the works of your hands, you have put all things under his feet. Now that's interesting because you compare Psalm 8 verse 6 to Genesis 1:26 and notice the parallels. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Notice Genesis 1:26. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing. This is a beautiful picture of God where you see God doing this all through the Bible. God, even in, when the great controversy is over, God shares his throne, if you will. God shares His character with His created beings and He wants us to see that character and then reflect that character and that is the witness that goes across all of the cosmos. So it says, continuing looking at verse 7, He's just clarifying who this being, who these created beings will have dominion over. Going back to Genesis, very parallel language here. All sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. Now let's look at verse 9. It says, O Lord, our God, or sorry, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. So the, the takeaway here is when you see a big, powerful God who is just unexplainable, that we can't comprehend, but yet He is willing to create this little speck of dirt in His image, mold it, breathe the breath of life in it, and set it on planet Earth and give it dominion just like He has dominion. You're left with a sense of awe and a sense of worship. And that is what the psalmist is saying, you know. And then when you consider other components to this as we move along, it touches your heart even more. So let's look now briefly, we're just going to look at a few components here at, at Psalm 100 because that's one of the other texts of emphasis when we consider the Lord has made us on Sunday's lesson. So let me turn in my Bible. I want to read this one from my Bible for you. 
it says here, Psalm 100, serve with gladness a psalm of praise. So notice the words here. It says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us. So there's the creation connection. And then very important addition here. And not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Notice God owns us. God created us. We did not create ourselves. And it says enter into his gates with thanksgiving. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful. I'm thankful that God made me. I'm thankful that I am not a cosmic mistake, that I'm not some sludge that just evolved over time and now I'm going to die and there's nothing that's going to happen after that. that that's just, that's it, right? But no, it says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. So I'm thankful that God made me. And into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. And then look at verse 5. It says, for the Lord is good. Going back to Connect that back to Genesis chapter 1. And you see all the goods that are mentioned in Genesis chapter 1 when we look at the creation account. God saw that it was good, 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 it was good. It was very good. So God is a good creator. He is a good God. And then tying this into His mercy. It says, His mercy is everlasting and His truth endureth to all generations. Now, when you see... The psalmist here is, is talking about entering into his gates with thanksgiving. I couldn't help but think of the last verse in Revelation chapter 4. So turn with me if you have your Bible handy and let's look at Revelation chapter 4 and notice what it says here. The last verse of Revelation chapter 4 we have this great epic throne room scene, this worship session in the Bible in heaven. It says, verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Now stop right there. Don't read the rest of the verse. And your question could be, why? Why does God deserve to have glory, honor, and power? Notice the answer. It says, For thou hast created all things. How much? All things. And for thy pleasure they are and were created. Let me read the verse another way and I'm going to ask some questions. So he said they, their reaction is, Thou art worthy, O Lord. And notice too, Thou art worthy. The word worthy actually has a connection to the word worship. We worship God because He is worthy to be worshipped. Why is He worthy to be worshipped? Well, we continue on. O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you have created. He is worthy to receive worship because He is our Creator. And then my next question is, well, why did He create us? You know, what's the purpose? The purpose is for His pleasure. He created us because like 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8 says, He who loves not knows not God, for God is love. God has created us. He's created all of His works of creation because He's a good God. His creation is good. His original creations are good, and He is a God of love. And when we see that, when we observe that, the psalmist's desire, and I believe God's desire, is that our hearts are stimulated, our hearts are touched, our hearts are warmed, and we are drawn closer to God, and we have this reaction of those in heaven. We worship God, these heavenly beings here that are worshiping God. That is the point. That is the main takeaway. So continuing on, on page 21 of the lesson, I thought this was an important point as we bring uh, Sunday's lesson to a close. It says, the glory of God is seen in the creation. Now this is a very important point here because you look at the creation today and you're going to see nasty things. Even the best nature documentaries that you watch, you're going to see dreadful and terrible things take place. You're going to see animals lose their lives and sad things that take place where you have to shield your children's eyes sometimes if you show them certain nature documentaries. Because why is that? It says the glory of God is seen in the creation even in the fallen earthly creation. So when we observe the creation of our world today, the creation of the world right now, earth, is not the way it was in the original creation because we live in a post-fall environment. But it's salvageable. When you look at nature, you can still see the fingerprints of God in nature. You can still see it. You just have to look, and it's there. So it says it points us. What does this point us to? When we look at creation, even though we're living in fallen earthly creation, the Psalms point us to what? God alone as worthy of worship. He is worthy to be worshipped because He is a wonderful, glorious, magnificent Creator. So that in summary is 
Sunday's lesson, the Lord has made us. So let's look now at Monday's lesson, the Lord reigns. Uh, this is coming from page 22. I thought this was a good point for us to, to look at to, when we consider the Lord reigns. Closely tied then, so this is connecting to God being a creator. It says closely tied, in fact, and separately tied to the Lord as creator is the Lord as sovereign, as ruler. And then we look at Psalm 93 and verse 1 to sort of set the stage for this. It says, The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded himself with strength. Surely the world now... So notice it transitions from the Lord and components about the Lord to the world. So you've got the Lord and the world. The world is established so that it cannot be moved. So the way that I've broken up this verse for us, just to kind of give you a visual here, is you see the Lord... What about the Lord? Well, the Lord reigns. He has majesty. He is majestic. And He is very strong. He is stronger than anything you could ever imagine. And then we transition that. And because of that, because the Lord reigns and has majesty and has strength, then the result is the world is established and it cannot be moved because God is the one who is on the throne. So when we look at page 22, it tells us to read Psalm 97 in the lesson. Read Psalm uh, 97. And the question is, what characterizes the Lord's reign? And it gives us some psalms to look at here. So let's take a look at these briefly and see what we can take away. Psalm 97. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 97. And let's see what it says. Psalm 97. And we're going to look at verse number two. It says, Clouds and darkness are round about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. And then verse 10 says, Yea, ye that love the Lord hate evil. He preserves the souls of his saints. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. So what we see about God here is he is somewhat mysterious, but yet he is also uh, full glory. He's glorified, but he's mysterious. So then when we consider uh, what is the domain of his reign, let's go to Psalm 97 and look at verse 1. It says, The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the multitude of the isles be glad thereof. So there we're seeing that the Lord reigns, the earth rejoices. And so we've got this component of his domain is, is planet earth in our context. And then verse 5 says, The hills melted like wax at the presence of the Lord. Again, seeing His power, His might, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. So there we have more language showing us this is talking about the whole earth. God is in charge of the whole earth. And I invite you to look at the rest of those uh, in your own studies as you go through the lesson. And what's the big picture? The big picture here is a sense of awe. And I looked up the, the definition for the word awe, and that is a feeling of reverential respect. So there's reverence mixed with fear or wonder. So this is the takeaway. When we see God's, you know, His, His character, uh, how He is ruling here, we have a sense of respect and reverence, but we also have this feeling of fear or wonder. Not like not like you're, you know, terrified of him, but it's just you know that there is power in the Almighty. That's what is coming across here. Now, what you see, though, is not all that look at God have this sense of awe. Because of the enemy, because the enemy has come into the picture, and the enemy is a deceiver and a usurper and all these things like we opened up looking at, not everyone has this reaction. You see, and the, there are several psalms that... that zero in on this as well and the lesson brings up some of these there's different ones that it gives you but I've picked here Psalm 14 and verse 1 because it says here the fool has said in his heart there is no God <laughs> so it's not even saying there's a bad God it's saying there's no God they're not even questioning the character of God they're just going full-blown saying there is no God they are corrupt they have done abominable works there is none who does good. So this is letting us know this is a big problem for many individuals. And it goes on, I thought I would connect that to Psalm 74. Notice Psalm 74 verses 22 and 23 because this is significant and you'll see how God deals with this. So in Psalm 74 and verse 22, it says, Arise, O God, plead your own cause. Remember how the foolish man reproaches you Daily. Pay attention to that word, daily. This word 
is a very significant word when you look at the Hebrew sanctuary, for example. And the Hebrew sanctuary, we'll get to that in just a bit, but this word daily is tamid, and that means continual. Notice the next, next one here in verse 23. Do not forget the voice of your enemies. The tumult of those who rise up against you increases continually. So you have this concept in the sanctuary. When we consider the sanctuary of God, the Bible tells us very clearly that the way to God is in the sanctuary. And that's also a picture of Jesus. You go through the sanctuary and there's pictures of Jesus. There's pictures of the plan of salvation. There's pictures of heaven before the fall. And there's pictures of heaven after the fall. It's just all through the sanctuary. This is a complete systematic teaching model that God has given us. This 3D parable is what I like to call it. And what you see is you see a contrast between the services in the sanctuary were there and the word is used connecting to these services, the services specifically dealing with the altar, the laver, the seven branch candlestick, table of showbread, altar of incense, all of these things, the service of the priest, the word to connect these things, these services is daily. So the daily availability of the plan of salvation, the continual uh, watch care, the continual presence of God for His people. It was available continually. But what you see is for people that deny God, for people who say in their heart there is no God, it's like they are continually going the opposite direction. They're continually not going through the path that leads them back to the throne of God, into intimate communion with God, but they are going the opposite way continually and want nothing to do with God. And it's, it sometimes can be frustrating when you see individuals who have this mindset who deny the Creator God, who deny His reign, who deny His sovereignty, like this lesson is talking about, and they seem to be prospering in life, they seem to be having it made, they seem to have plenty of money in the bank account, and they seem to have no worries. And I find it interesting that there's this contrast between the daily services in the sanctuary and the daily denial, the continual denial of these individuals, and we find the answer all going back to the sanctuary in Psalm 73. In Psalm 73, I want you to notice just a couple of the verses that it says here, talking about the mindset of the psalmist when he is considering people that are continually denying God. It says, truly God, this is verse 1, truly God is good to Israel. So notice the psalmist, he knows that God is good, even to such as of, our, as of a clean heart. But as for me, he says, my feet were almost gone and my steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw, notice the language, the prosperity of the wicked. Have you ever thought that way? Surely you can relate to what the psalmist is saying here. He says in verse 5, they are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasses them about as a chain. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than their heart could wish. They're corrupt. They speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak lawfully. They set their mouth against the heavens. Notice now, you've got the praise of the heavens of the ones that, of, that worship the Creator, but here you have the people that are not denying God. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore his people return hither as waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? You see, people that have nothing to do with God, they have the opposite mentality of the worshiper that is mentioned in the book of Psalms, all through Psalms. But notice here, as the psalmist is contemplating these individuals, as he's contemplating the prosperity of the wicked, which causes him almost to just give up on his faith. Notice what he says in verse number 17. Well, verse number 16 first. He says, when I thought to know this, look at this, it was too painful for me. But then look at what it says now in verse 17. Until... I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. The sanctuary shows us that God is a God of mercy 
and He is a God of justice. And God will set all things right in the end. It seems like the wicked are prospering. It seems like they are not getting what they should deserve. It seems like, you know, that they're just getting a free pass and that they're making all the money and have all the success, all the while denying God and mocking God. But the sanctuary, when we study the sanctuary, it lets us know, hey, just hold on a minute. Continue keeping your eyes focused on God. Keep looking up to the heavens. Worship the Creator because I am going to make all things right. One day, I will have my kingdom in reality that will come here on this planet and I will set up my kingdom and it will be an everlasting kingdom that will never fail. So the, the psalmist goes on, or the lesson actually goes on and says, by faith, on page 22, by faith, God's people rejoice in the inauguration of God's kingdom through Christ's redeeming ministry and wait for the consummation of the kingdom at Christ's second coming. And that's what this famous vision in Daniel 2 is all about. Now, that takes us to Tuesday, God is the judge. God is the creator, God is powerful, God reigns, and God is the judge. This kind of sets us up to let us know that, yes, that would make sense. If God is the creator and if God reigns, then He would be the best judge. So look at Psalm 75. We're there at Psalm 73, so just flip over a few pages to Psalm 75 and notice the language that, it's, that it uses here. And the question is asked in the lesson on page 23, Why is the boasting of the wicked in vain? So let's take a look at it. Psalm 75, it says this, The righteous judge. So this is talking about God being the judge. It says, Unto thee, O God, do we give thanks. Unto thee do we give thanks. For that thy name is near, thy wondrous works declare. When I shall receive the congregation, I will judge uprightly. The earth and all the inhabitants thereof are dissolved. I bear up the pillars of it. Selah. I said unto the fools, notice the fools, what's going to happen to them? Deal not foolishly, and to the wicked lift up not the horn. Lift not up your horn on high, speak not with a stiff neck. For, the, for promotion comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one and He sets up another. Now, notice what the lesson goes on and says. It's going to pick some of these words that the psalm continues to use. And look what it says. In Psalm 75, this is page 23 of the lesson, several images depict the irrevocable destruction of the wicked. The image of a cup and red wine. Psalm 75 verse 8 talks about the cup with red wine. Conveys then the intensity of God's Fury. You can reference Jeremiah 25, verse 15, and Revelation chapter 14 and verse 10 when we consider this cup. And then I can't help but think about the cup of the, you know, Gethsemane, where Jesus is saying, Lord, if it's possible, remove this cup from me. So we have these analogies of the cup that is coming to the wicked, a cup of fury, a cup of wrath that's coming to the ones that deny God as judge, that deny God as ruler, and that deny God as creator. A cup is coming for them. But Jesus, here He is saying, Lord, let this cup pass from me. And what's, what we see here is Jesus is taking what I call the cup of separation so that we can have the cup of salvation. This is beautiful. This is coming from Psalm 116, verse 13. Notice what it says. I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. So there's the cup of salvation and there's the cup of separation that Psalm 75 is mentioning here. We don't want that cup. We want this cup, the cup of salvation. Also, the, the judgment can be kind of confusing to people sometimes. It can be a, a, a nasty topic, a negative topic. But just to let you know, when we look at the Bible and we, we survey this through the pages of Scripture, the, the judgment is really a beautiful thing. And it really has three components. It has the investigative, the millennial, and the great white throne. And you can talk about that in your lesson and break those points down. But notice what it says on page 23. It says, The execution of God's judgment of the world is preceded by God's examination of the people's lives. And this just makes sense that God would investigate, that He would examine before He judges, seeking whom he, whomever He can save. Notice too, the, the big push for the judgment is seeking whomever He can save. Continuing on, it says the judgment is sometimes called the investigative judgment when God defends the righteous and decides the fate of the wicked. Now, a question you might have is why does God investigate if he already knows everything. Well, God is not investigating to inform Himself. You see, this is a great cosmic 
controversy that we're involved in, I want you to notice what Job tells us. Job 21, verse 22, it says, Can anyone teach God knowledge and that he judges those on high? So God's not informing himself here. God is showing the world, he's showing the cosmos, the open books of our hearts because they can't read our hearts. And why does he judge? Notice this. This is a beautiful passage. It says in Psalm 37, verse 28, For the Lord loves judgment. Why does he love judgment? He loves judgment because he forsakes not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. Continuing on, verse 32 of Psalm 37, The wicked watches the righteous and seeks to slay him. Look at verse 33. It says, The Lord will not leave him in his hand, in the hand of the wicked, nor condemn him when he is what? When he is judged. So you see, this is a beautiful picture of the judgment of God. You can reference Psalm 87 too. For the sake of time, I'm going to go past that. And we see oftentimes, we see pictures like this and it makes us feel afraid of the judgment. This would be like, you know, the, the great white throne judgment or even in some aspects, some people would use this image to portray the investigative judgment. But you see, this person is all alone. He's abandoned and there's all these angels and there's God, there's the law, and there's the recording angel. It looks very depressive. He looks like he has no help from on high. He's all alone in this thing. But a picture is worth a thousand words. And this picture to the right is a more accurate depiction of the judgment. The Bible tells us that we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ is our advocate. And that is a beautiful truth. So continuing on on Wednesday, now we're looking at being ever mindful of His covenant. So when we consider God's judgment, it says the theme of God's judgment prompts a significant question. How can God's people have peace with God and assurance of salvation at the time of judgment? And you'll see when you look at these verses that the lesson gives us to reference, that if you are a child of God, the judgment is always in favor for you. For example, look at Psalm 94 and verse 14. It says, For the Lord will not cast off His people, neither will He forsake His inheritance. So if you are a child of God, the judgment is good news. Continuing on in verse 15, but judgment shall return unto righteousness and all the upright in heart shall follow it. So what we see is God does not simply promise not to reject his covenantal people. He actively works, works to keep them secure in him. Page 24 has a beautiful summary of all this. It says he forgives, he instructs, he blesses, he strengthens. God's judgments are to turn the people to righteousness and to show us ultimately that God cares for them. And then this is also incredible. Page 24, when God remembers His covenant, it involves more than cognizance or memory because it always leads to, very important word, leads to action. And what is the ultimate action that was taking place for all of us? We'll continue... Uh, I'll, I'll show you in just a minute. What do, we, what, we, what do we have in Jesus which shows us why these promises made to ancient Israel can now apply to us? Going back to the ultimate, uh, the ultimate thing that leads to action in, in this process is what it's taking us to is it's taking us to the one who was ultimately faithful to the covenant and that is Jesus Christ. He was the faithful one and he was the one that went all the way to the cross to salvage humanity on the cross. So that's a beautiful point. And as a result of this, what it tells us in Galatians 3, 26 to 29, is that now all the covenantal promises that we have in the Bible that were given to Israel, you can look at all these various Psalms where it goes to the history of Israel. These are now, in the, in the heritage of Abraham, these are now promised and given to us today. And because of that, we, it takes us to Thursday's lesson, which is your testimonies are very sure. And what this is showing us is basically God's decrees who we could say amen to. Uh, we show us his reliability, his faithfulness, and his firmness. For example, we look at Psalm 19, we look at Psalm 93, we look at Psalm 119, and you see these key words here all going all throughout. We have perfect, sure, wise, sure, holiness, peace, and not being offended, which means not falling into sin. They'll keep us. Continuing on, other psalms that it gives us on this day's lesson. Delight, meditate on Him, perfect, proven, a shield of protection, mercy and truth. These are all things that we need. And I love the one in Psalm 119 where it tells us that His Word is a light 
unto our feet, a light unto our path. So when we consider this lesson, when we consider the summary, what should we learn from this particular lesson? Here's the summary coming from page 20. It says, The Psalms unswervingly uphold the foundational belief in God's sovereign reign. The Lord created and sustains everything that He had created. He is sovereign king of the whole world and he rules the world with justice and righteousness. The Psalms unswervingly uphold the foundational belief in God's sovereign reign. Continuing on, it says, The Lord created and sustains everything that he had created. He is the sovereign king over the whole world and he rules the world with justice and righteousness. Now, I know we just hit the highlights, and there's a lot more to be said. Dive into these uh, discussion questions at the end, and I think at the end of this lesson, you can see that we certainly have a God that is worth worshiping, a God that is worth serving, a God that we can take courage in in the time of judgment, which we're actually living in, in the investigative part, and we can see that God's testimonies, that His decrees, that His laws are worth trusting, that they are secure, that they're firm, because they come from the Creator God, the Redeemer God, and the just judge that the Bible, and specifically the Psalms, bring us to, that draw us to. And like the psalmist, I stand back in awe when I consider the God of Scripture and the God of these Psalms, where the heart of God is brought near to the heart of man. And we have this intimate communion as we consider these beautiful pages. So let's have a word of prayer. And I pray that this lesson is a blessing for you and for your study group, for your family, and for you as an individual. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for this week's lesson as we consider the character of God. We consider Him being our creator, our ruler, our judge, and see how His words are sure, His decrees are certain. We pray that this would strengthen our faith, strengthen our walk as we go through this dark planet. Help us to be a beacon of light because we're filled with joy and awe as we consider the handiwork of our Creator. That's our prayer. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget to request today's life-changing free resource. Not only can you receive this free gift in the mail, you can download a digital copy straight to your computer or mobile device. To get your digital copy of today's free gift, simply text the keyword on your screen to 40544 or visit the web address shown on your screen. And be sure to select the digital download option on the request page. It's now easier than ever for you to study God's Word with amazing facts wherever and whenever you want and most important, to share it with others.